Hello, and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping our listeners navigate the wide variety of options they have after a career in consulting. I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of pivot or career change. And the goal is really to help our audience understand all the options they have available to them and ideally learn from our guests, both in terms of kind of what they did right and things they wish they would have done differently. Today, we welcome Michael McCarroll, and Irina Igorova to the studio. Irina, I hope I pronounced your name right, but thanks, uh, thanks, Michael and Irina, so much for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. You bet. So for those of our guests that don't know, Michael and Irina are highly successful serial entrepreneurs and also former consultants. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to, to you two. I'd love to just have you give us kind of an introduction and, and a background on yourselves, and then we can kind of jump into Team Rotary and in terms of kind of what you're doing now. Thank you, Ken. I'll start. First, it's a pleasure to be here today. And we've known each other for a few years. And I guess we first met back when I was working at Lattice Engines and leading a sales organization there. And ECA team really helped us grow our team and find exceptional talent. So thank you for that. And just a quick introduction for myself. I've always loved mathematics. So I have an education and background in mathematics and computer science. I started my career at SAP, then spent more than five years at BCG, and then at a startup called Lattice Engines. And after that, I founded Team Radery together with Michael. Excellent. Thanks uh, Thanks for joining us. Yeah. So again, great to be here. Michael McCarroll, my favorite subject was actually engineering. So I'm an engineer by training, uh, worked as an engineer for about five years uh, in semiconductors and Spent uh, five years, three years actually at McKinsey. Sorry, felt like longer. Uh, and then um, pursued a career in entrepreneurship. So um, this is the third company I've started. The second one actually started uh, in collaboration with a couple of other people I met while working at McKinsey. And um, you know, I think what I would say is I think you and I both believe that the time we spent in consulting has benefited us for the, for the rest of our life. It, uh, in, in part, it's why we found kinship with each other, but it also just gave us a set of tools, I think, that we've, we've really valued and taken forward into what we do now. So those are probably two of the most humble introductions that I've that I've ever received from uh, two two incredibly successful people. Um, so maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna have to dig a little to to, to learn here more, guys. Um, so first, um, in terms of kind of what you're doing now, so Team Rotary. Um, you know, I, I, you know, newsflash. I, I am a, I am a, I'm a customer, and I'm a big believer in what you're doing. But tell me, tell our guests, kind of what it is, and and how and how you kind of got the idea. Sure. Yeah. So, Team Rotary is a solution to the problem that anyone who manages people faces, which is how do I take a group of highly skilled individuals, and as a as a manager of that team, how do I create a context on that team that lets those individuals. Uh, gain from each other and actually work together as a team. Um, there's been uh, abundant research in universities and at companies on what are the habits and norms of creative and collaborative and cohesive teams. Um, and the research all points to a set of pretty fixed practices that when these things are resident on a team, 
they lead to higher performance, uh, a greater sense of purpose and lower attrition. Um, but it makes work matter more to people. It makes them enjoy it more. And it dramatically increases the output you get from any team. So what, what Irina and I did is we took these practices from academia, uh, from university research, and we commercialized them. We took this research and we turned it into a marketplace of shared team experiences. So these range from uh, a live conversation with uh, uh, a, uh, a former poker player to uh, writing rap poetry with a rapper turned poet to um, coffee tastings. Uh, so it's a marketplace of like 40 or so and growing different experiences that you do with your team. And they're all about 45 minutes long. And after your team does one of these experiences, you will notice that they have, um, more, they feel closer to each other. They trust each other more and they feel more connected. And for teams that do this on a recurring basis, like basically once every 90 days, um, they will report that these feelings not only persist, they increase, and then they'll measure reductions in attrition, uh, uh, elevated creativity, um, higher collaboration. They rate their manager higher. They rate their company higher. And you know, ultimately, what you're able to do is get a group of people that felt like just a group of people and turn it into a team. And that's really, that's really the mission. That's incredible. One of the most interesting things that I found having experienced as a client was just the amount of kind of vulnerability that we were able to experience even within our own team that we hadn't before. Could you, could you talk maybe a little bit about how you're, how you're creating that and how you're making that happen? Yeah. So vulnerabilities, um, look, we, uh, nobody wants to go be vulnerable, right? It, 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 it suggests that we're in a, puts ourselves in a position of weakness. And so, uh, if you want to get a group of individuals who uh, typically emphasize their strength and confidence and turn it into a group of individuals that's willing to be vulnerable, you need some form of a catalyst. Um, so the catalyst can't be dramatic. You can't, you know, make the room dark and uh, start to play odd music and get people to do that. So it needs to be pretty natural. It needs to be pretty organic. It needs to be something that feels like part of what you would do within a company. So there's a, a principle in organizational behavior uh, that is, um, it's called context setting for vulnerability. And what it says is if I um, create a context, if I basically tell a story so that people are not being vulnerable kind of in the standard workplace, but they're doing that in the context of something that you set up, people are willing to share more. Uh, and every time somebody shares more and is vulnerable, uh, they like each other. They like everybody in the room more that they just shared that with. And then everybody in the room will rate that individual as more trustworthy because that individual just shared something that was clearly vulnerable. So that's all from university studies. So what we've done is taken that concept of creating a space for vulnerability and made it something that can fit into the middle of your workday. And that's what corporate teams will do now as a way of building that cohesion to create a sense of team. Yeah. It was incredible that you were able to do it in a virtual way too, for me. Um, okay. So we, we just talked about different teams. Talk to us a, a little bit about what kind of companies and, and organizations that you're working with. Yeah. So we work in this um, all kinds of enterprises from large to small across multiple industry, technology, 
pharmaceuticals uh, manufacturing, um, we can see that the problem of connection uh, and team connection resonates a lot uh, across organizations. And as teams become more uh, distributed, uh, it, the problem becomes even more acute and people crave connection, crave uh, trust. So um, we pretty much find that uh, every team, uh, after the experience, the temporary experience and get a chance to get uh, a little bit more vulnerable, uh, spend some time together, get to know a little bit more about each other. They feel more connected, more productive, uh, more happy uh, at work. Uh, doesn't matter what they do day to day. It, it applies to, pre- like, to a very broad, of, uh, broad set of industries um, and um, companies. And is it just... And is it just teams internally or are, are, are you seeing clients use it with external parties? What, I guess maybe what are some of the different use cases that have come up? Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing is when you, um, when you think about, you know, the sort of step back and say, well, what are, the, what are all the different contexts in which I take a group of individuals? And if I can create some sense of team among those individuals, I get to a better outcome. And those are really the use cases that, that, uh, that people come and use team Rotary for. So the most popular one, uh, most consistent one is obviously the concept of an, uh, a functional team, right? I'm an engineering manager. I have 12 engineers on my team. Uh, that's what we would call a functional team. As you can imagine, that's a, a pretty standard use case. Uh, but in some ways, it's not even the most powerful one. Uh, that gets a group of people that need to be collaborative with each other and, and gets that going. But the second one is when there's a cross-functional team. So uh, cross-functional team would be now it's engineering and DevOps and product. And a lot of organizations, uh, not only obviously are functional teams distributed, but cross-functional teams can be distributed not only across locations, but across geographies. And now you're getting a group of individuals that actually think a little bit differently. And because of that, they actually have inherent distrust or siloing. And it's getting those individuals to feel more connected and cohesive. So in you know, just about any piece of knowledge work that we do, it's, it's super rare that you don't have a cross-functional team. So the second big use case is really cross-functional teams. Um, then there's a third one, which is uh, the concept of a sales team. So um, anytime you're trying to sell an enterprise product uh, to a customer, you've got a, a, you know, obviously a sales rep and a sales team on the seller side. You've got a buying team on the other side. No transaction is going to happen unless there is a sense of trust, uh, a sense of common purpose, shared understanding, and even a sense of what are the norms going to be in the sale and the relationship post-sale. So in all those different contexts, you have companies that are now using Team Rotary as a way of, uh, you know, effectively um, stimulating, catalyzing, lubricating um, the type of cooperation that you want to have across different types of people. And that's how you get these teams to uh, uh, form more quickly, develop trust rapidly and get to better outcomes than you would have generated otherwise. That's incredible. And Michael, Irina, 
As you, I mean, so walk me through, I guess, kind of how you thought about this. I mean, uh, it was in the height of COVID, right? Uh, like how, I guess, how did, how did the idea happen? Is it because of COVID? Like, I mean, it's only been, it's, it's been just a little over a year, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, we started the company in 2020, but, um, you know, the idea has been there for a longer time. So, for example, I have a long history of working uh, with distributed teams, globally distributed teams. Um, I had a distributed team at SAP, uh, multiple distributed teams at BCG. Um, even at Lattice Engines, our sales team was distributed. And um, distributed teams are really powerful. Um, they combine people of so many different uh, backgrounds with different perspectives. But it's really like important and really hard to maintain a connection. And um, they really require different ways uh, to engage uh, engage right with each other. And um, as a manager, um, I used to read uh, you know, articles in Harvard Business Review uh, and um, trying to understand how to make a connection better um, and how to build trust between team members uh, who are located like in different regions. So we felt the problem for a long time and um, started the company in 2020 because, um, you know, the problem became really acute and we had to do something and we had to find a modern way to help teams stay connected um, with each other. Well, as someone who uh, whose whose company you got our entire company dancing all at once, uh, I, I can say you guys are doing a, a, a good a good job at uh, at Team Rotary. Um, so this is the second kind of go around together you two as a as a partnership um could you tell us a little bit about lattice engines and what and what you did there and 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 I, you know how you got connected and and what it's like this to work together this time around yeah so um irina and i met uh when uh when we were at lattice engine so i was one of the the founders of that company uh it's the one that was started by a, a few other alums with consulting backgrounds and um what we uh, what we were trying to do was sell what was a, a pretty complicated product into a uh, a pretty confused market, and uh, with a with, at a relatively high dollar value sale. So um, one of the things that became really important was to just kind of change or evolve the way that you sold because uh, we were selling something. It was an analytics oriented product, uh, relatively new to the market. And you really needed to find people who were um, really empathetic with what customers were trying to achieve and could very quickly kind of take what we were selling and quickly turn it into something that the customer understood is exactly what they needed to solve the problem that they had. So taking the sale very much away from me and turning it into focused on you, the customer. Um, uh, I met Arena back in 2014, and um, what uh, ultimately the, the, uh, Arena joined the organization, uh, uh, initially leading uh, solution consulting, uh, ultimately leading sales teams. And what was really striking about her uh, was, you know, in part she's an exceptional person, but in part she had this background, obviously Ken that you're familiar with, which is. Consulting backgrounds, you you're, you're, you immediately understand it's all about the client. 
you immediately understand needs to be framed in their problem. Um, and you immediately understand that there's not one size fits all solutions. So Irina was incredibly effective at this, uh, and personally, um, ultimately, um, can we leverage you know, your organization to hire both solution consultants as well as ultimately sales reps, salespeople. And, um, so the context for us meeting was trying to solve a really tricky go-to-market challenge. We solved it with a skill set, obviously, that Arena had in in spades, uh, and we scaled it with a skill set. I think that your, you know, certainly your listener base uh, has in spades. And you know, look, fundamentally, it was we had an incredibly effective go-to-market motion, um, really efficient from a cost standpoint. So consultants aren't cheap. Uh, people with consulting backgrounds aren't cheap, but uh, it is an incredibly effective and ultimately then efficient way to go run a, a sales organization. And that was, that was the context that we met and you know, obviously a bit of why we became involved with ECA. That's great. Um, and, and I want, I, I want to dig into kind of, uh, Irina, how, how you kind of grew the, grew the business from a sales and commercial perspective. But before we go there, I guess, so Michael, one of the things that our, our users are really interested in is like, okay, you, you make a, you make a transition from consulting to technology. My understanding is you didn't have a lot of experience in, in product. Um, obviously, you had you, you know you you were interested in engineering, but how do you, how do you make that jump and kind of like what are you missing? Yeah, I, I think that's a it's a fair observation, which is when you come with a consulting background, you have a you've got phenomenal instincts around service. Mm-hmm. And phenomenal instincts around empathy. Uh, and you tend to um, you tend to not think first about product. So I think, you know, walking into a product company from a consulting background, that's certainly one of the, the things that you need to be cognizant of uh, and kind of know that you've got that blind spot. Um, you know, I would tell you that when you're doing that in the software business, uh, you get reminded incredibly quickly how important product is. Um, and the reason is, is like nothing that you just did can be recurring unless there's actually a product behind it. Um, and so look, I think, you know, in, you know, in Rita's case, actually she had been at a product company SAP before she went to consulting. And so she, uh, in fact, in, in, uh, certainly showed up with that orientation I think that was probably, you know, for myself, when I made that transition from consulting into um, entrepreneurship, probably the thing that was the hardest corner for me to round was orienting around the centrality of product. Uh, Obviously, the importance of rapid service around that, but the centrality of product to the to the offering. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then, okay. So then how, how many years in Irina were, I guess, was Michael into the business when you kind of came in and, and then talk a little bit about kind of how you grew it from a sales perspective. Cause I think that's a, that's a really interesting story. Michael has been in business, I think for more than five years when I came, came in and, um, look, we had, uh, we had great customers already. So I was fortunate to have, uh, create references and case studies in technology industry. Um, We had an objective also to penetrate new industries and new customers. And um, 
I think this is what I've been focusing on initially. So uh, we went beyond um, the technology industry and uh, we expanded into distribution, expanded into manufacturing um, with customers like uh, US Foods, Honeywell. And um, that was a really exciting time when we had to figure out together with a customer how to use modern technology to uh, solve their go-to-market challenges. And um, so that's what we started with. And uh, we've been very successful. And then we hired the team to sort of continue this motion and to continue the growth across industries. So um, what I also noticed about consultants, uh, though not everybody had backgrounds in product uh, in product when joining us, uh, thanks to experience in consulting, people learn so fast. And um, because people jump from product project to project and they're very used to new teams, they're very used to new subject matters. And it takes an astonishingly short time for people to get up to speed on what product can do on um, use cases of the product. And they're pretty fast in aligning these use cases and helping customers align these use cases uh, to product capabilities. And, and Irina, the, um, the other thing I think you did particularly well at Lattice, it was you brought on a lot of kind of former consultants and, and trained them to have a, a more commercial focus. But so if, if you're thinking about kind of if, if I'm a consultant that's let's say I'm leaving McKinsey or BCG or something and, and I and I want to get into a more commercially focused role in, in you know enterprise SaaS, what what am, what are the things that like I'm missing or I'm kind of coming in a little bit kind of green on that that I probably need to think about? Yeah, I would say uh two things. Um first uh be prepared to work with people with many different perspectives and backgrounds. And um, it's people will think differently than you in many cases, but use it as an opportunity and fully embrace it because the combination is really powerful. So that's, I think, one thing that jumps out. And um, second thing, though you have you know many skills that are applicable and uh, you can be really successful in you know, in your analytical approach, in your customer service approach. But most likely you'll still face many ups and downs because there will be so many things that you don't really control. And it's really different from consulting days, right? When you need, you know, be vigorous in your analytics, when you need to do your analysis, when you need to create your slides. Uh, and, you know, you know what to do to be successful, more or less. But in the sales career, there are so many changes that are completely outside of your control. You know, budget shifts, uh, people leave companies. Um, so get ready to it and, um, you know, treat it as an opportunity also to um, evolve and to be more comfortable with that, find new ways to achieve your goals. Um, and ultimately, it will be a very rewarding experience for you. And I know, you know, if you're running any kind of sales team or sales organization, obviously metrics and KPIs around activities are super important. How do you marry up something like that with a large value sale like you were doing at Lattice where, you know, uh, how, how, how do you kind of, how do you, I guess, how do you juxtapose those two things? Look, you need to be really rigorous in how you run your book of business, right? So, um, you're right. We had like large deals and it's really hard to forecast when the deals are going 
to close. Uh, but that's why you have to find a way to have many deals in your portfolio and many, uh, many deals in your pipeline and uh, be really vigorous and prioritizing your effort in such a way that uh, you still meet your KPIs uh, from quarter to quarter. So it's you know easy to say, it's not easy to do that, but um, if you have uh, like... If you don't overly focus on just one, um, you know, on one customer, and you understand that you need to have a portfolio, um, you'll be you'll be successful. And one of the things I think that I've observed, at least with former consultants, is sales or commercials or whatever, you, however you want to call it. It's almost become like a bad word um, because uh, – and actually, I, I don't necessarily know the, the, the reason for that. Um, but had, did you encounter any of that when you were onboarding or, or, or kind of bringing uh, folks up to speed? There is, of course, a certain perception of the role that exists. Uh, but at the same time, um, we see that the definition of the role and the requirements to the role are evolving. And – uh, customers are getting, you know, they're, they're getting more and more advanced in their understanding of different domains. Um, there's so many information. There's so much information available across uh, digital channels, and uh, your customer comes to you like really prepared. They do, they know all the basics. They have really specific questions. They have really specific requests. So I think with time, uh, the expectations of the role and the definition of the role changes, and people realize that. Uh, you need to be an expert in your domain. You need to be uh, really attentive to what your customer wants. You need to be really skillful in applying your product to the specific needs of the business. Uh, so it's not just, you know, uh, dial and smile. It's uh, it's about establishing deep relationships. It's about becoming a, a part of your customer's team, right? So that's uh, it's a really um, critical capability and uh, requirements and uh, expectations are really high right now. Um, and I guess like with time, we'll see more and more salespeople who have um, like really strong analytical skills, uh, similar to the skills that consulting companies develop in people, uh, really uh, strong comp- customer empathy skills. Um, and um, this is uh, this is a great profession that helps you uh, helps you build that and helps you helps you develop uh, develop this uh, skill set. Yeah, again, if you if you look back twenty years uh, twenty years ago, if a customer wanted to buy something, they did not have a lot of places to get information, and the role of a salesperson was to give you information. Um, and that's what salespeople were. They were people that would give you information. So roll forward 20 years today, information is everywhere and it's readily at hand. So a salesperson's skill, and you know, we still have the, you know, the things like the smile and dial meme, uh, right. That sticks around like those things are an antiquated way to think about sales. And to Irina's point today, a, the way a sales salesperson is successful is they have to make themselves valuable, right? If you're not valuable, people don't call you back or email you back. You have to create value. So, you know, what Irina is saying is, look, the skills you developed as a consultant actually allow you to add value in the sales process. So it's becoming, you know, I think any 
Sales Academy is teaching consulting skills to people that want a career in sales. You've got consultants now that can actually just show up with those skills. Um, I, I remember this is, you know, it's like 15 years ago, but when, when right after we started Lattice, I told my mom that uh, we were spending out responsibilities and I was going to focus on sales. And she sort of looked at me, uh, you know, as one of the founders of the company, and she kind of looks at me and says, don't you think you could find something better to do? And her point was like the way she regarded salespeople, you know, circa mid two thousands was it was the, the guy that sold her an Oldsmobile. Right. Um, and you know, she didn't think her son should, should, should be doing that. And you know, you, you just need to explain to somebody it's, you know, that that's not what sales is anymore. It's nothing, it's nothing like that at all. It's uh, connecting the customer to the problem that you solve or connecting, you know, uh, really, you know, digging in with the customer like that. And that's absolutely the skill of a consultant has in spades, right? So they're like actually quite set up to be successful after making a couple transitions, but to be really successful in the, in this field. That's such a great point. And um, it's, it's, it, thanks for sharing that story, Michael. One of the things that I always tell people that come into kind of like our company too is like it's like okay what's what's the secret sauce and like it it sounds i hope google or uh, spotify doesn't flag me for my explicit comment but it, it, my best advice is just honestly give a shit like if, if you care about the customer if you care about the you know the outcomes that you're driving if you genuinely authentically do care um you'll succeed pretty pretty greatly because i i think people are more perceptive than than you kind of can than, than people realize right uh, just in terms of you know i don't know i i'm probably belaboring the point but uh, thanks for sharing that story no look absolutely right just put a put a lantern on that one you brought up authenticity right so you know you kind of say for any transaction to happen the fundamental thing you need to have is trust right fundamentally no transaction happens if there's not trust okay so let's say that's true well how do you how do you build trust so it turns out actually there are like three dimensions of trust. And one of those dimensions is authenticity. And if the person, so to your point about giving a, if the person that's trying to sell you something does not appear to care meaningfully and invest themselves, they don't come across as authentic and you don't trust them. And that's it. Like um, Francis Frey is a professor at Harvard Business School. She's the world's foremost authority on trust. She's, she's part of, part of Team Rodri's advisory board, uh, founding advisor. And she's defined trust as having these, uh, she describes it as a three-legged stool. And uh, what she describes is if any one of those legs isn't rock solid, the stool wobbles. And she calls those trust wobbles. And uh, in an environment like sales, they're just totally unforgivable, right? Like once you wobble, you can't recover. And authenticity is one of the, you know, one of the three, one of the three legs of the, um, of the trust triangle. So super, you know, super important, obviously for people to be authentic, uh, is a core element of how you build trust. Yeah. And bringing it, I I guess, bringing it back to kind of like team Rotary, um, one of the things I observed as an as I call it an early client of yours when, when you were at, when when you were starting the business is you both were very involved in in that in that process from an early early on point of view right so even though it, it is a business that 
provides experience virtually and you can book those appointments online. I, I did observe as a, as a client that you were very involved and I, and I felt like part of that was to, to understand the, the customer better. Is, is that, was that intentional? Well, look, I, I think you have a couple of things. So, you know, we, you know, the, uh, our business launched right in late 2020 and uh, what we have right now online is a, is a marketplace. So you can go and you can select experiences. Um, one of the things you'll be seeing later this year is uh, an ability for a manager to go in and basically say, here's a few things I'm seeing on my team. And then our site will actually recommend what experience you would take. Uh, so it's, it's only to say, um, well, I appreciate your valuing our authenticity and caring. We're actually looking to automate that um, in addition. But, you know, I think the, the, you know, the point is, look, for any, um, uh, in, any, in any transaction, the person on the other side of it needs to know that you, you know, it's the real you. They need to see that you care about their success. And, you know, Team Rotary or Lattice or anything people do, those are, you know, those are now two of the three elements of what you need for uh, to build trust with people. Yeah, no, I, I think I was more, it was more probably a commentary on how, you both invested that kind of extra time up front to kind of like understand the customer. So it's like in startup world, I've heard the expression, do things that don't scale, right? So first you do things that don't scale so that you can scale them. And and, and I got the sense that you were really trying to kind of like understand that so that it can become a lot kind of easier to automate and kind of like easier to do. Because now when I set up experiences, right, it's, it's a much more kind of like seamless process. So um, totally understand that. Um, Excellent. Um, well, I guess one of the other things that um, I wanted to cover. So, you both come from very impressive background, academic backgrounds. Um, one of the things we're developing is kind of like a library for folks to kind of learn about different books that you might recommend that have been kind of pivotal in in both of your careers. Would love to hear you talk about uh, what you might recommend to our audience. Sure. I'll, I'll give you two that I really like. Um, so there's a book uh, from uh, the woman's name is Amy Edmondson, and the book is called Teaming. So team and then ING. Um, what I like about it is it's, uh, you know, it, it, at some level, it tells you things that you already know, except for the fact that you don't actually practice them. Uh, so therefore, it deserves to be read. It, it goes through effectively uh, all the research behind what it takes for this verb teaming, right? Which is uh, a group of people collaborating together to create value in an organization. So I think it's a great read. It just reminds you of what the fundamentals are. Um, so, you know, it's like watching a, it's like watching a masterclass video from Steph Curry, right? Uh, how to dribble, how to shoot, right? These are things that every, everybody should know how to team, teaming. So that's a really good one. Um, that came out a few years ago, so it's not a new book. So the second one uh, to pick up is Adam Grant's book, Think Again. Uh, it came out last year. Um, what I like about the book is it does a really nice job of revealing the various biases that we all have and the way that we make decisions. And Becoming aware of it just means that you're less likely to make those mistakes in the future. So I found that book really helpful. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Irina, what about you? 
Yeah, I can I can share a book that might be interesting for everybody who is interested in becoming a seller and everybody who is a buyer. Um, so it's an interesting book uh, that was published, I believe, last year. It's called uh, Detecting Bullshit. And it's basically uh, a very researched, uh, you know, book that shows how to how to understand if people are saying truth or not and different uh, linguistic tricks uh, that um, show you uh, if, 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 it's, uh, if it's true or if it's not. It's just, you know, a great uh, entertaining, but at the same time researched uh, backed read that everybody can, can find useful. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much. So I guess before we wrap up, if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about kind of team Rottery, um or, you know, learn about the experiences that you guys are providing, how, how would they get in touch? Yeah, the you know, obviously the website uh, teamrotary.com. So it's camaraderie except with the word team in front of it. That's one. Um, the second is I think you know we would love Ken to help one on one with anybody that's looking for a specific way to get started. Uh, we get asked a lot of how do I get started with my team? What should I do first, second, third? And both Irina and I. So Irina is Irina at teamrotary, and I'm Michael at Team Rottery. And we both would love to help you get started with something, explain why you start with what you start with. And um, ultimately, we have a whole set of digital resources that tell you how to reinforce what comes out of each experience. But we'd love to help you get started on that journey. Um, and we just believe everybody can be a pretty a pretty gifted manager when they make this part of their, their management cadence. Awesome. Well, I, I I truly love what you guys are doing, and and it's it's so fun to see two entrepreneurs that did something, you know, very analytical and you know very let's call it like a like software, you know, like a hard software, hard technology business, um, make a make a pivot to something that is in a way softer, but also very much kind of research backed and, um, you know, definitely affecting change just in a, in a different way. So, um, re- really love what you guys are doing. Thanks so much for joining us today. Our pleasure, Ken. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, you bet. And, um, so for those of our listeners that want to hear more episodes like this, make sure you to subscribe to beyond consulting on either Spotify or Apple. And if you want to learn a little bit more about the podcast, it's beyondconsulting.info. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, it's www.eca-partners.com. Until next week, thanks so much, and we will talk to you then. 